G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. Sometimes we just feel like just uh, so insignificant when it comes to what we do in our nation when there's huge international disasters that are happening. And the biggest international disaster this year has been the unfolding uh, earthquakes in Turkey and Syria in the Middle East, those two strong earthquakes Now, a week ago, devastating cities, killing tens of thousands. The death toll up over 30,000, and it's expected to rise significantly. Some focus today on the extent of the devastation in the earthquake zone and more on the response of Christian organisations. What's perhaps neglected in media reporting is that the region hosts millions of people who have fled the very, very brutal civil war in Syria and other conflicts too. A weekend and there are still freezing conditions. At this point, only miracles may save those still trapped under rubble. Some insights today with Barnabas Aid, who were quick to mobilise disaster relief and aid into the earthquake zone. Ashley Saunders is Head of Partnerships for Barnabas Aid in Australia. Ashley's joining us. He's in the studio. Ashley, a special welcome back to 2020. Uh, Thank you, Neil. It really is good to be with you, although we, of course, lament in, in significant ways the need to talk about these matters. Wouldn't it be great if we didn't have to? But it's a reality and we need to face those consequences. Uh, Well, as we'll get into in this conversation, uh, it's one thing to talk about a disaster. It's another dimension altogether to discuss the fact that there are Christians who may be treated differently to other ordinary citizens in nations like Turkey and Syria. And we'll get into this uh, some more as we go, but but there is a difference. And when we talk about Christian brothers and sisters uh, being in solidarity with them, uh, it's interesting to know that not all Christians are treated equally like we treat each other in Australia. Yes, that's right. And being able to assist Christians uh, in different countries in times of need is, in my view, putting into practice what Jesus said when he said, love one another. Uh, By this will all people know that you're my disciples if you have love one for the other. And so what we do with Barnabas Aid is really an extension of that to say, yes, uh, we are to do good to all people. We're especially called to love our brothers and sisters. You know, I was talking to another Christian outfit just last week. Um, that's the organisation Samaritan's Purse. And, uh, you know, mobilising really specialised teams, setting up relief hospitals and things like that. Barnabas Aid, you were able to get aid in very quickly after the earthquake happened. Uh, give us an insight into just what's happened with some relief supplies that your organisation was able to deliver, Ashley. One of the things that we're involved with, um, not only in this part of the world but in others, is a feeding program called Food.Gives because there's millions of hungry people. And let me just take a minute to say they're hungry because they're poor, they're poor because they're marginalised, and they're marginalised simply because they're Christians. 
And so we have this feeding program called Food.Gives. And one of the things about Syria that many people might have forgotten is that it's a country where there are international sanctions. And so you're not able to get money into Syria uh, without being in breach of those sanctions. Um, and, of course, if you breach those sanctions, you're regarded as funding terrorism. So one of the things we were able to do, though, is to get aid there. And so from Germany, we had a container of food, uh, food boxes, um, and it was uh, in the port uh, in Syria waiting to be um, dispatched when the earthquake happened just a week ago. And uh, suddenly, uh, praise God, all the obstacles to that container being released disappeared. And therefore, within two days, uh, that food was up in the Aleppo area of north uh, east Syria uh, being distributed amongst needy Christians. And so we have partners on the ground that we've been able to establish over the years um, and to actually see God's hand at work, that there was food in the port that was able just to be taken straight away uh, to those who needed it. Uh, we'll take that as a divine timing uh, for that food to be available to be released at that time. Getting it then through an earthquake-devastated region uh, can't always be easy. No doubt there's all sorts of logistics issues too, just getting the food to the right places. Uh, yes, there are, there are a whole range of logistics issues. Uh, if I can change the direction just a little bit, uh, those who are listening to this um, in the Newcastle and Hunter Valley area will remember the 1989 earthquake there. And I was an alderman of Newcastle Council at that time. And to live through the earth shaking, you know, Psalm 46 talks about even if the earth shakes, if, the, if, if it all falls into the sea, there's something solid about earth. And for those of us who lived through the 1989 earthquake in uh, in Newcastle, we remember the, the sense in which it rocks your foundations literally um, when there's an earthquake. And yet that's got nothing, nothing in comparison to what we've been hearing about over the last week in Syria and Turkey. And, and in terms of context, uh, the Christian communities in those places um, in northern Syria, they've been through terrible times in the last decade. And in Turkey, they've been through terrible times for the last hundred years. And, uh, and so there's a greater context and a greater need. And the question is, how much more can these vulnerable Christians put up with? How much more can they sustain? And we want to demonstrate our love to them. Uh, as an extension of the hand of Jesus Christ. And that's going to be an important thing uh, for everyone listening today. Uh, get ready because shortly we'll give some way that you can really be in solidarity and uh, support those Christians in Syria and in Turkey. And uh, we'll give the details of how you can do that with Barnabas Aid very shortly. But while we're into this, and uh, interesting that you would raise uh, being in the Newcastle earthquake and, uh, you know, perhaps uh, lots of people might remember that and the listeners today might 
like to give your own impression about what it's like to be in an earthquake. My my best connection is uh, being in an earthquake simulator <laughs> where you go into a room and somebody set it up so that it vibrates a little bit and you know it's almost a nice novelty to actually be in it. But when you're actually there and the ground is shaking, uh, that has a different effect on you too. And uh, there's all sorts of psychological issues around too with people who go through uh, to earthquakes. So you were in that one in Newcastle, Ashley. Yes, I was. And to... Um, to walk through the cities, because I was an alderman of the council, uh, one of the, 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 this isn't really what the focus of today is, but it's, no. it's interesting that one of the things that the council had to consider was what powers the council was operating under. And so because I was practicing as a solicitor as well as being an alderman, uh, the council solicitor and I had to go in um, to my office um, in the middle of the city um, to look at some law books and do some research. And I've got to tell you, it was scary. Uh, it was it was strange to see soldiers uh, setting up roadblocks and to have to get through that, and then just to walk through rubble. And uh, and even when we went into our office, which was an old Georgian terrace, um, to see so much of the walls that had fallen, it was pretty scary. Um, and uh, I couldn't wait to get out of there. I've got to tell you, but again. Um, that that explains something of what it's like when the earth shakes. But but again, nothing compared to what is happening in uh, other parts of the world right now. And it was a whole lot less in Newcastle than what the strength of a strong earthquake has been uh, that we're talking about that happened in Turkey and Syria just mm. a week ago. But while we're into this, uh, let's... Let me just take you another little step deeper here for your impressions, because when you say, Ashley, you know, you were an alderman and you were on the council, um, there would have been certainly even at that time strict building codes and the way we have disasters like that that happen in Australia and uh, those listeners who are in cyclone affected regions, uh, you'll know that your building codes are pretty good and you know you can't build a building that's going to be blown over in a breeze and perhaps in Newcastle now you can't build a building that's going to be easily knocked over in an earthquake but if we're talking about Syria and if we're talking about Turkey uh, what I've picked up is that the building codes there are absolutely atrocious and we've seen the images of buildings just pancaking, collapsing because of the earthquakes. Any thoughts here around, I mean, what happens in some nations around corruption and the challenge of just getting a building code that can actually protect people? I know there's a lot in that. And it's also a challenge of wealth. We need to acknowledge that in countries like Australia, we're able to financially afford building codes, whereas when you're dealing with a population that is poorer and in the case of Christian communities marginalised, uh, then then they really can't afford um, a building code. Um, and some of the stories that are coming out of Turkey in particular include some property developers having been stopped from fleeing the country uh, in, out of concern that they're going to be uh, strung up uh, metaphorically, if not physically, uh, as a result of their buildings that have collapsed. So, uh, yeah, w- we can we can afford building codes. And after every natural disaster in Australia, there is a review. Uh, there's been reviews after every cyclone. There's been reviews after those uh, that earthquake in Newcastle, and and we do that review, and then we see how it needs to be adjust, adjusted or, or or modified to some degree. And uh, in places like Turkey and Syria. Th- Financially, they don't have that luxury. 
and 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 it's it's much more of a subsistence living. I'm I'm not I'm not trying to paint a picture of abject poverty. What I am trying to paint a picture of uh, is values. Uh, as well as finances, because uh, in the West, in countries like Australia, not only about finances, but we value safety. Um, and so there's there's this value, and you know maybe today or some other time we could talk about the way in which those values are informed by the very Christian principles that have under, undergirded our society that somehow or other our society is now saying shouldn't apply, uh, but they're the values, because we see all of that as an exercise of care for one another, and that's a real value in in countries like Australia. And isn't it an amazing thought that you might have? Because I know people might debate the idea that corruption causes poverty or does poverty cause corruption? And uh, when you think through the issues there, uh, from what I understand, it's the corruption that causes poverty. Uh, So somehow or other, if you've got values in place, and this really testimony to values that have been in place in Australia now, perhaps going right back to uh, colonisation, where those British Christian values began to shape us as a society. We've got the capacity then to have values applied to people's safety. Whereas if you haven't had those Christian foundations or they've been eroded in such an extent as we might see in some of those Middle Eastern nations, uh, corruption leads to poverty. Uh, that's that is a big discussion, isn't it? It is a big discussion, and underpinning uh, a Christian worldview is that God is knowable, that God is a God of love, that God loves us, that God made us in His image, and that we are to reflect something of the nature of God. That is the way we live, ought to be a bit of a signpost to God, and therefore we want to live in a way that demonstrates love for others, uh, in the way that God loved us. And so the fact that God is knowable, that he's revealed himself, that he's made us in his image and we are to reflect that, that's mighty powerful in terms of the values that underpin a society. When we've got nations like Turkey and Syria and these are the ones who are in a dreadful disaster earthquake zone, It becomes really important, doesn't it, when you're a Christian and you're thinking, how do I get some help, some support, some relief, some aid into those zones? You've really got to turn your thoughts to those ministries that deal with issues around the persecuted church and Barnabas Aid right there in the middle of that as well as others that we talk to frequently on this program. But uh, you've got some wonderful contacts on the ground, partners that you're working with, a way that you can get aid into the places that really matter, Ashley. Uh, Yes, that's right. And in terms of the context, one one of the things that's not really well understood is that before the decade-long civil war in Syria, uh, both Christians and Muslims got on really well in Syria and, and Christians were regarded as uh, as no lesser citizens. Uh, but that all changed with the civil war and the rise of um, uh, Islamic State and, and those other uh, jihadi groups. Uh, and so there were, there were 10% of the population were Christians a decade ago. Uh, in Turkey, what's not generally known is that before the um, genocide, which was directed to Armenian, Assyrian, Greek, and Syriac Christians. Before that uh, genocide that started a hundred years ago, twenty percent of the Turkish population were Christians, and um, and, and so there is a remnant that remains, a faithful rem- remnant, and it is a privilege 
um, as a representative of Barnabas Aid to know that we've we've had partners for years um, in those places uh, that that demonstrate their care and their love and their trustworthiness. Visions 2020 with Neil Johnson, a biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. Well, Ashley Saunders, Head of Partnerships at Barnabas Aid in Australia, is our guest. Our talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316. If you'd like to join in our conversation, Ashley, let me ask you about the extent of the disaster, the things that you're hearing from your team on the ground there in Turkey and in Syria, uh, and some of the difficulties you're facing. Uh, give us some insights here into what your your uh, intelligence is telling you. Well, the... The Christian community is really suffering, and uh, we received, for example, a text message from a pastor in uh, a city called Antakya. Most of your listeners would recognize that as the biblical Antioch, and uh, he sent a text message that just said, our homes are destroyed, our church is destroyed, we've got nothing. And and that's, that's I guess, illustrative of the sort of damage and the sort of heartache that people are suffering. In terms of raw numbers, you've mentioned that you know the the, the death estimate at the moment is thirty thousand people and is no doubt going to rise. One of the things again that hasn't received much uh, media coverage is that it's estimated that uh, some twenty six plus million people have been affected. I mean that that's more than the population of Australia. Uh, th- this is an incredible de- uh, destruction, and, uh, and and so there's there's this horrible destruction of widespread church buildings destroyed, homes destroyed, and, and it's minus seven. Many of us here, especially up here in southeast Queensland, we've been sweltering over the last week. Uh, here are people who, who are in desperate need of food and shelter and blankets and warm clothes because it's minus seven degrees. Uh, in, in terms of some of the difficulties that we have, um, again, probably not widely uh, known, is that in the area of northern Syria that's been affected, uh, some uh, of that area is under Kurdish-led forces. Some is under Syrian government-controlled areas. Some are, is controlled by Syrian rebels. Some still controlled by jihadist forces, and others yet by Turkish-backed Syrian rebels and Turkish military. And so you, you, you've got this terrible situation of a war still going on, and there's been reports of fighting even after the earthquake. Just think about that. That's incredible. So you're suffering under the earthquake circumstances uh, and the war is continuing because the people that you were shooting at uh, or however you're fighting a war that happens there in Syria, uh, dreadful things that I've heard over the years. But uh, in the middle of that, it's no ceasefire. It's just we're continuing to fight. And uh, if I see you on the street, I'm going to shoot you. Uh, However that war is being fought, to think that it's being continued after such a disaster is, in my world, unthinkable. Uh, And yet that's part of the circumstances. Now, uh, one of the things that Barnabas A did over the last few years was be involved in bringing Christian refugees to Australia, and uh, not only from, um, in in particular from Syria. And some of the stories uh, has just been incredible because um, since the civil war and since the rise of the jihadi movement, um, and even with some of the Turkish-led forces going into that part of Syria, uh, there are leaders who are saying there is no room for Christians here. Just think about that. Can you can you imagine a place? 
that says no room for Christians. No room for Christians, and uh, we're not used to that. They are in some sense used to it uh, in some of those zones because uh, civil war and such things have been going on for a long time. Uh, and no doubt it's different in different areas, different cities, different towns, different people in different levels of control. And uh, that complicates things all the more, doesn't it? Yes, it does. And th- there, was, there was a very lovely man, Dr. Jenny Haddad, uh, who was based in Aleppo and was a pastor as well as being a surgeon, well regarded uh, by the community generally in that area. Um, I never had the privilege of meeting him, but I saw a video where he was saying, uh, one of the patients came in, a lady patient came in and said, uh, Dr. Jenny, you're not going to leave this area, are you? Because you're the, you're the salt of this land. And, and he was saying to her, where did, you, where did you hear this? That's biblical language. And, uh, and so uh, I mention that because he was one of the early COVID deaths when the coronavirus went through that part of Aleppo, uh, that part of Syria. And he and a number of other uh, church leaders unfortunately died in that first wave. Uh, and so on top of um, deprivation, on top of war, on top of discrimination, um, they've then had uh, the coronavirus. And uh, my heart goes out for people who've just been, uh, to use one of our expressions, you know, just gone through the ringer. Ashley, before we go any further, let's take a call. Sue is in Kingston in Tasmania. Sue, a special welcome along to 2020. Thank you, Neil. And um, hello, Ashley. It's a terrible, terrible time um, people are experiencing in Syria and Turkey. But I been really pondering whether or not this is, this is actually of God. I'm not saying it is, but in the Old Testament, it says time and time again that God is tolerant and then his wrath comes upon the people. And whether or not, because it, Syria and Turkey were very relevant to Paul of Tarsus, the, the capital of Turkey, and Paul is one of the most prolific writers, as you know, in the New Testament proclaiming Jesus Christ. So whether or not this is going to be something that God will use to draw the people to Christianity, but more particularly to Jesus. And I'd just like to know your thoughts on that because the suffering is hideous for all people involved. Ashley, this is one of those issues that comes up, doesn't it? Whenever there is a national disaster, uh, lives are lost, people are displaced, uh, people wonder about uh, God in the circumstance. What's your thought and feeling for Sue here? Uh, Thank you, Sue, for calling in and for your reflections. Um, Of course, Turkey, uh, or the modern-day Turkey, is a significant place in Scripture, uh, the city of uh, Antioch, uh, now called Antakya, was, which is very badly affected, was the place where Christians were first called Christians. We read about that in, uh, in the book of Acts. And, of course, all of the seven churches of Asia that we read about in Revelation are all in modern-day Turkey. And so the whole of that area is very significant. Uh, it was a significant part of the message of Jesus Christ going as as those who fled religious persecution from Jerusalem and wider Israel, uh, as they went uh, north, uh, 
around the top of the Mediterranean, Syria and uh, and uh, Turkey uh, into Greece were significant uh, for the early church. And uh, there's been Christians there for 2,000 years. And um, they're in a very bad position uh, now. I've, I've already talked about the uh, what happened a hundred years ago in the Ottoman Empire with the genocide, and uh, and and so so many survivors of that genocide lived, uh, went to and lived in Aleppo in northern Syria. That's why there's a significant Christian population in that part of Syria, uh, and so yes, it is a significant uh, part of the world in a biblical context. And uh, I guess what I would say in response to your specific questions are firstly uh, that God can use everything. And whatever happens, the question is, how do I respond to that in a God-honoring way? Uh, How do I show something of the grace of God? How do I show the love of God? And that will look different uh, to us in Australia as it will to the church in Syria and Turkey. And so uh, I'm encouraging people to pray and I'm encouraging people to give as they have the capacity uh, to alleviate the suffering uh, and what the Christians are looking to do in Syria and Turkey, I saw something uh, that a prayer network said, pray that the the church in that area would be a a great presence. Well, uh, we do want them to be a great presence. We do want them to be salt and light. Uh, And in order to do that, we want them to be strengthened and encouraged. Uh, And so part of the way that Barnabas Aid operates is that we partner with Christian churches and denominations and organizations on the ground. And by... Um, encouraging them. Barnabas, of course, means a son of encouragement. That's what we want to do. By encouraging and equipping and funding those churches and denominations and Christian organizations, pray God, we're collectively helping them to be the salt and light in and to their local communities. And so, yes, we should always ask, um, in light of this, Lord, what should I do now? What are you calling me to do? And I do pray that as we are able to strengthen, as we're able to equip and enable the church, that they would be salt and light and that many would turn to know the living God. Uh, so wonderful to call in. And I think there too, at the heart of your question, was uh, an issue around the judgment of God. Uh, and my response oftentimes when there is a natural disaster, whether it's a natural disaster here in Australia or whether it's a natural disaster that something like this unfolding in an international context, oftentimes is to say, you cannot say this is the judgment of God on a people. But on the other hand, you cannot say that it is not. So it's one of those things we will not know. But I think uh, there, as Ashley's just indicated so eloquently and so beautifully, when we hear of of these disasters that unfold, we instantly say, not whose fault is that, but what is now my responsibility because now opportunity has been made for me to respond in a compassionate and sympathetic way. But uh, Sue, thank you so much for your call. Our talkback line is open, 1-800-316-316, if you'd like to join into our conversation. I just want to give that website one more time too, because there is an appeal that's going on. And Ashley, people, when they do make a donation today, barnabasaid.org and you'll be able to navigate to the Australian site or to give to the international appeal. Uh, When people give to that, 
money is going into those circumstances where Christians especially are affected. Is that is that a way to to you know if you're talking about how do you sort of say more mostly where are those funds going? Uh, yes. So Barnabas Aid is a ministry providing hope to suffering Christians. So that's our focus. Uh, unapologetically, our focus. When Paul was writing to the church in Galatia, we know it as Galatians 6 and verse 10, uh, he writes, uh, As we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. Let me just pause there. There are many organizations that do that, and Jesus calls us to love all people. Paul goes on to say, though, and we have a special calling on our ministry to the second part of that verse, where Paul says, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Uh, And so that's the focus of our ministry, to bring hope to suffering Christians. And you do that through partners on the ground where there have been local churches that are established, whether they are very publicly um, visible churches or whether they be some underground church groups. Uh, You're using the -the on-the-ground church community to be able to support those believers. Yes, we have a model of ministry that goes from Christians through Christians Uh, to Christians. And what you're highlighting there is that middle part of our model that we we don't go with Western boots on the ground. We partner with uh, local uh, Christian churches, denominations and organizations. And that does a few things. First of all, it keeps our overheads very low. um, and, And so that's a very important thing. Overheads are important because accountability and financing and receipting and good governance, uh, they're important, but it's also important to keep that as low as possible. Uh, And so it does keep overheads low. Secondly, what it means is that by funding in that way, uh, then the ministry that we fund uh, can be done below the gaze of those who would persecute. But the third thing that that model does is what I was highlighting before, and that is that it equips and enables and strengthens the church in that area to be the church of Jesus Christ, to be the salt and light in and to their local communities. It deepens the challenge, doesn't it? As you shared in the first part of our conversation, Ashley, that when you've got word that there are churches also that have been flattened because so many of us might appreciate that if your house has been knocked over in an earthquake, you might find some sanctuary in the church. And if the church also has been flattened, uh, that actually creates uh, extra issues around uh, how you get some help and how that help gets to be distributed. So there are challenges, aren't there? Because when you've lost the church building, uh, you've lost a, a particular depot where you might be able to distribute that sort of help. Yes, there's a couple of aspects there. The first is the network that's centred on the church as a building. Uh, And the second part is actually the cost of re-establishing a a Christian presence. Uh, And in that first sense, um, yes, the building is important, but it's also important to recognise that the church spread around the Mediterranean in the first 300 years after Christ without a single church building because there was a network of people. And so, yes, the building is important as a focus, as a center, but at the same time, what's even more important is the network of believers that's established. And so even if the building is not there, uh, the community of Christians, that's the church. And the second part, though, is about reestablishing um, that presence. And, you know, in Australia, when there's some kind of 
disaster that, that strikes church buildings as it does from time to time. Only, a, I think, two or three weeks ago, a, a church building in Queensland was uh, was uh, destroyed by fire. I, I don't think it was deliberate, but uh, I'm just highlighting that those things happen. And we have insurance. And, you know, sure, the community, the congregation is displaced for a short time, but the build that's not known in this, in this area. Um, and so without the assistance of generous people in Australia and other places, that community centre, known as a church building, um, won't be rebuilt. And one of the special nuances in the way that you will have a conversation like this today with me is the thought that uh, there'll be general aid that will come from nations all over the world. Uh, and there may be some blockages to that aid getting through to the Christian community. If the Christians are concerned about those Christian communities because you want to sustain the presence and the life of the church in a nation where it's not easy to be a Christian, where it's not easy to have a church, then you can actually be a little more pointed with the way that you might make a donation, knowing that it's going to get through to a place where you can sustain the Christian believers even in the tough context they're in. Uh, that's right. When I speak in churches, I was speaking uh, at a church only yesterday morning, and uh, I made this comment that that one of the things that we do in Barnabas Aid is to fund disaster relief. And people often ask me, why? Why would you need to be involved in disaster relief? Surely, when there's a disaster, everyone gets helped equally. Well, you and I might like to think that's the case, but the reality is that in places where Christians are despised or marginalised or discriminated against or persecuted, uh, the anti-Christian bias that exists before the disaster is often reflected in terms of how the disaster payments uh, are meted out. And so in some places, Christians are either at the end of the queue or not on the queue at all in terms of disaster relief. In some places... As horrible as this sounds, in some places, I'm not making any suggestion that this has been the case in Turkey and Syria in the last week, but in some places, Christians are actually blamed for the disaster. And uh, that's just unthinkable. And so in that kind of environment, if we don't help our brothers and sisters in Christ, who else will? There are many organisations of a religious nature, um, not just Christian, uh, and and of a secular nature, of a, of a universal nature, plenty of organisations that will do good for the entire population. There are Islamic um, organisations that will do good to the Islamic population. And who's going to help out the Christians? And so that's where the Lord has put on the heart of the founders of Barnabas Aid that we have a special calling to make sure that we can bring hope to suffering Christians. Let's take another call. Anthony is in Melbourne. Hello, Anthony. Welcome along. Hi. Thanks, Neil. Um, I'm just calling up to give my view about um, the earthquakes and everything. Um, in the Holy Scriptures, it talks about um, there'll be earthquakes, there'll be pestilence um, in the last days. So, like, with, with everything that's happening at the moment with Turkey and Syria... Um, we shouldn't be surprised that um, that, there, that there's earthquakes or that there's um, turmoil going on because um, the, the Holy Scriptures the Holy Scriptures say that um, you know perilous times will come. So with everything that's happening, um, as born again Christians, we shouldn't be surprised with um, with what's happening in the world. 
good thoughts there, Anthony. Uh, your response for Anthony, uh, Ashley? Yeah, yeah, thanks, Anthony, for calling in and for raising that uh, that matter. Uh, and you, you're right that that's what the scriptures say, and uh, there is prophecy regarding those matters. Uh, I guess regardless of what one's view of eschatology, that is end times, regardless of what one's view is about that, um, I think what is beyond dispute amongst Bible-believing Christians is that we've been in the last days since Christ uh, was ascended into heaven, and we're certainly closer to Christ's return every day. And my view about biblical, uh, biblical prophecy is this, that when you look at prophecy, whether it was Old Testament prophecy or New Testament prophecy, the purpose of the prophecy was to ask of ourselves, how then should I live now? And so recognizing that the scriptures talk about end times, recognizing that the scriptures talk about uh, earthquakes and famine and pestilence and those kinds of matters before the Lord returns, the question is, what does that mean for me? Uh, Ashley, what does it mean for me? What does it mean for you, Anthony, or for Neil, and for all of our listeners here today? How should I then live? And if these things that happen, horrible as they are, if these things are a spur for you and me and others who own the name of Christ to look at ourselves and be more urgent about making the most of today for Christ, then that is a good thing. Please don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying the earthquake is a good thing. I'm not saying the suffering is a good thing. Please do not hear that I'm saying that because I'm not. But what I'm saying is it does give the opportunity for us to ask, how then should I live? And for me, instead of going from week to week and being focused on my retirement income that I'm saving up in something called superannuation, um, and I, again, I'm not saying ignore those things, but I'm saying in addition to that, what, what, what does God require of me today? How can I today be the person God calls me to be? And that, in my view, is the uh, the point of biblical f- uh, prophecy, and it's a great point that you've raised, Anthony, and I hope that that's been an encouragement uh, to many of our listeners. Anthony, does that uh, does that resolve your uh, question there? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you've summed it up well, and um, amen, amen. God bless. Good on you, Anthony. Thank you so much for your call. Uh, time is short now. We won't be able to take any more calls. Uh, thanks to everyone who was uh, participating in our conversation. Uh, let me just come back to how people might respond. And uh, a wonderful uh, set of thoughts you delivered uh, just a moment ago, uh, Ashley, about how our response might uh, you know, move us to a place where perhaps we haven't responded to this in any way. Uh, we haven't been talking positively about how we might be supporting any sort of uh, aid, uh, welfare, any sort of uh, charity that is sending any funds into here. Maybe there's not that sort of urgency, but it certainly has dominated the headlines. And as we talk about the numbers that have lost their lives, those who've been displaced, those who are affected, those who've lost their homes, the churches that have been destroyed, the bu- the businesses, uh, the buildings, the infrastructure, everything that is really under such uh, a dreadful circumstance right now. How do I respond with my $5 or with my $500,000? Uh, people can give with the... Uh, the uh, appeal that you've got going is so if someone goes to the BarnabasAid.org website, uh, how do they make that donation? On the very front page, as soon as I get to BarnabasAid.org, um, 
the web browser will recognize that you're in Australia. Um, if it doesn't, it will ask you to choose your region. And if it asks you to choose your region, choose Australia. And on the very front page, top banner, is reference to the appeal for the Turkey and Syria earthquake recovery. And so you don't have to navigate. You don't have to click on any links other than there on the very front banner and you'll see Give Now or Donate. Okay, BarnabasAid.org. And Barnabas Aid, it's a, it's a huge organisation. It's in nations around the world. Uh, give us a little idea here how big Barnabas Aid is these days, Ashley, of, uh, you know, which nations, which the prime nations that are, are supporting some of the initiatives we're talking about today. Well, I guess there's two answers to that question. There's, there's those countries where we raise prayer, and, and might I just pause to say that's the most important thing I would ask people to do. The very most important thing to do is to pray, uh, to pray for those who are affected and to pray for me and for my response that it would be a godly one. So prayer is the most important thing. Uh, if people have the capacity to give financially, uh, then I urge them to do that. Uh, but prayer is the most important thing. And so there are those countries where Barnabas Aid operates uh, where we raise awareness and raise prayer and raise funds and we have representatives in some 14, 15 or 16 countries I've lost count uh, around the world and then there are those countries where we fund ministry and again when I go to churches I often say I really wish that I could tell you that we're closing our doors because Christians are no longer suffering Christians are no longer being persecuted but sadly uh, the incidence of suffering and persecution increases and real hotbeds, there, there are some hotbeds of suffering in Africa. And I know that, I know that you were talking only recently about the situation in Nigeria mm. and, uh, and the Congo is, is, is in a terrible situation. There's reports of horrible things happening in Mali, uh, Mozambique. Um, Mozambique is, is in a terrible situation and Madagascar. Uh, in, in some of those African countries, uh, Islamic State, even though they're no longer as prominent in Iraq and Syria, they've gone into Africa and their African versions of that uh, are just wreaking havoc. And so there are some 60 to 65 countries in which Barnabas Aid funds ministry every year. Okay, as 65 countries, BarnabasAid.org. As Ashley says, it'll take you to a page for Australians, BarnabasAid.org. Ashley Saunders is Head of Partnerships for Barnabas Aid in Australia. Uh, the earthquake, there'll be more bad news to come, an opportunity to give and in a pointed way that will support Christian believers on the ground, churches that have been destroyed in the earthquakes, BarnabasAid.org. Ashley Saunders, thanks so much for coming in and sharing your thoughts and heart with us once again today on 2020. Uh, thank you, Neil, and uh, good morning to your listeners. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.